Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Difference Makers, and I'm your host, Adam Van Bremer. On our latest episode, the Savannah Economic Development Authority's Trip Tollison discusses working on both sides of the aisle on Capitol Hill, the importance of building relationships in economic development circles, and he also takes us behind the scenes to show how he and CETA court new business prospects during site visits. Speaking of the Savannah Economic Development Authority, or CETA, as they are affectionately known, they are also the sponsor of the Difference Makers podcast, CETA, an organization making a major difference in our community. You know the organizations and businesses they lead. You might even know their faces. But do you know what makes them difference makers? This is Difference Makers, a podcast presented by the Savannah Economic Development Authority and dedicated to highlighting Savannah's key players and their contributions to our community. Difference Makers hail from several sectors, commerce, government, education, arts and culture, and philanthropy. I'm Adam Van Bremer, editorial page editor of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. Thank you for listening. Proud Savannians like to say that their city sells itself, and in some respects, they are correct. When it comes to economic development, however, selling Savannah requires champions and expertise. Our proximity to the Georgia Ports Authority and interstate access helps, but it's folks like CETA's Executive Director Trip Tollison that keep Savannah top of mind with businesses looking to relocate or expand. Pleased to be joined on Difference Makers today by Cedas Trip Tollison. And this is an interview that's a long time in the making. When we first launched this podcast, I told Trip about it, and he, like a lot of people in town, was like, Podcast? What are we doing? And, uh, and then we had some, some other things that came along, and we said, Well, we want to wait until they get through their Propel Savannah report together. And then Trip and Cedas ended up coming on as a presenting sponsor, and we didn't want to, you know, all of a sudden have him on, and people say, Oh my gosh, you know, you're selling out to. To CETA, and I guess there's there's a lot worse people to sell out to than CETA. <laughs> but here we are in July, and we're glad to have Trip here. And as always, we're going to start a little bit with the background. I think most people have gotten to know Trip quite well over the last decade and a half, two decades. And uh, but he is a coastal Georgian; he's not necessarily a Savannian. And Trip, can you kind of tell us a little bit about your upbringing and and growing up down in Brunswick? Sure, grew up in Brunswick, and um, first of all, thank you for having me today um i'm just actually trying to learn more about podcasts and i've listened to a few lately actually quite a few driving back and forth to atlanta and things of that nature but thank you for having and inviting me Brunswick was great got to live on a uh on the back river enjoyed my childhood and then turned 18 went to college in athens and never looked back of course i love to visit but my family's still there, and it's, it's a great place. And of course, being next to Jekyll Island and St. Simons, it's 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 not a bad place to be. Were you the kid that, that mom and dad was always dragging out of the dragging out of the water with crabs hanging off of you? And we spent a lot of time on the water. I've got three younger sisters, and you know, any chance we could get, um, whether it's you know, dragging the net for shrimp or fishing or 
you know just taking the boat out for a ride and trying to ski it was it was a great childhood you're probably one of those that can cast the cast net all the way across the creek and pull back a bunch of shrimp right i think that i've uh it's not as good i'm not as good as i used to be so i'm hopefully that my son and daughter can can take that on and i've seen hank do it a few times and uh, i think he's got the talent yeah the false comment i i I recently got a cast net for the first time and put the lead ball in my mouth the first time i did it so i think well you're doing it right i got a lot more to learn some people can do it without doing that and it's that's it's an art form i don't have that that quite that wingspan (laughs) you you got a bigger wingspan than i do (laughs) not yet anyway (laughs) so so growing up down there your parents both were professionals did did they lend to what you ended up well, in the long run? so my mother was a nurse, and my father's side, uh, the family business was very entrepreneurial. Had different companies. They, you know, they definitely were in the development business, whether it was developing neighborhoods or you know, from a candle company to you know, this and that. They were had that spirit of entrepreneurism, and I, uh, I enjoyed being a part of it, watching it, you know, and and I never thought i would be doing it you know on the quasi public private side and i always thought that someday i'd go back to work with them never happened um but yeah it, it was it was they they loved it and they uh sometimes were successful sometimes they weren't but uh that was what they i think they loved most about it was taking the risk were you the one that was always tagging along in the truck and learning all the business at the at the knee yes my first job was uh cleaning you know job sites cleaning out houses things of that nature on the construction side and then i graduated from that to delivering furniture for for a store down in brunswick called h and h and then um worked at an athletic store you know trying to do every job you can you know growing up which i think is very important for for kids to do yeah you're the original college hunk moving junk is that that's exactly right <laughs> i don't know about the hunk but we did we moved a lot of junk i got a lot of stories i could tell you but i don't know if they're appropriate for this podcast <laughs> Brunswick High. Brunswick High. Go, Go Pirates. Pirates. Right? That's right. Yeah. And then on to Georgia. And, and what was the plan when you when you left for Georgia? Was it to, you said, follow in the family footsteps? I always thought I wanted to be an architect. So I had this crazy idea of spending two years in Athens and transferring to Georgia Tech. Uh, obviously got to Athens, and that wasn't going to happen. Um, I grew into an obnoxious you know, dog fan and – never even considered tech after the first year and of course i didn't pursue architecture and then um upon graduation the next day i went to go work for the united states senate for senator sam nunn uh great experience loved every moment of it loved dc how'd that hook up how'd that hook up happen i did an internship for the senator when i was in college and loved it and you really wanted to do it doing internships are you basically just running paper back and forth you're running paper you're doing just about anything you can get your hands on to get the experience Mm -hmm. and i really enjoyed it yeah you you step into the capitol in dc kind of talk us through those first couple days what was it like you are uh you just dive into this gigantic mess if you will of trying to get things done at the time when i was there president clinton was was in office and there seemed to be more of a a willingness or a can-do spirit of working together uh crossing the aisle and compromising i don't see that today uh but then you know also it was very nice to work for a very powerful member of of the senate everybody whether you're a democrat or republican had just the utmost respect for senator nunn and that was really that was an awesome thing to be a part of uh, right out of the gate. So when you're walking down the hall, oh, you work for Sam Nunn. That's great. 
Uh, and so it was a really good experience. Learned a lot. Learned a lot, of, obviously, about the legislative process and, and how things are, are done in D.C. And so it was, it, was, it was fantastic. It was a different time than, like you said, in terms of partisanship. But, but how much did the politics, because you went from working for Sam Dunn on one side of the aisle to Jack Kingston on the other side of the aisle eventually, right? Well, it was, you know, I don't know what it's like today, but even when I did go work for uh, a Republican um, after working for a Democrat, they're really, it's not like you played, we played all kind of intramural sports. I, was bas- I did basketball and softball, but there, were, there was never like a label on your back like, hey, that's a Republican on that team. We can't really talk to them. Mm-hmm. I do think that it exists today from oh, conversations wow. I, I have, uh, which is unfortunate. Um, you know, definitely two two different schools of, of thought. I, I did find Senator Nunn to be more conservative than most uh, mm-hmm. Democratic senators. Um, and then, of course, Congressman Kingston was great. He uh, was in the process of establishing a lot of clout, uh, and it was it was a great to be a part of all that. And we had some interesting things happening, obviously, when Jack Kingston was in office, when I got to work for him, like the whole – you know, you know, just sit through an impeachment hearing right. process and be the right. staff person uh, working with a member of Congress. You, uh, that was a very unique experience. But I, we could talk hours about all that. But that was it was it was neat. I really enjoyed it. How does it contrast going from the, the Senate chamber to the House chamber? May I, you know, just a, a ton of more people. Uh, it's you know, I, I found the House to pass more bills to get more done. Uh, you it it was a fast moving train and and that was exciting because you know the leadership at the time in the house was very adamant about getting bills done um and then they'd get stalled in the senate Mm -hmm. um i say that with all the respect in the world for the senate but that's the last step before it gets to the president they're the filter right that's what they were set up at. they're the filter and they do a very good job of being that filter even today uh but it was I, i enjoyed it and um you know both members, whether it's Congressman Kingston or looking back at Senator Nunn, they had a lot of respect. And you, you don't want to work for a member on Capitol Hill that doesn't have respect. Uh, I couldn't imagine what that would be like, but I was fortunate to have the experience on you know the Senate and the House. Okay. So you're coming out of college. You've taken some political science classes. I'm mm-hmm. sure you probably were involved in, in some form of, of student government or some kind of campus involvement. When you got to Washington, did you realize you knew absolutely nothing about what legislating is really like, or did you have a pretty firm grasp on it? I think the first lesson I learned in D.C. after the first few months is how important relationships, relationship building is to the success you're going to have as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could f- pick one thing that I really learned through that process in D.C. was that. And no matter if, if you're going back to an architect or if you're a professional athlete or or a home builder if you don't have good relationships or if you're not constantly working at cultivating and maintaining those relationships i don't know how you really succeed in life and i'm sure it helps to have a personality if i had to pick one word to describe you it'd probably be forthright you have a way of of putting people (laughs) putting people at ease immediately you're you're very genuine how much of that is natural how much of that is is gained through experience um, I think a lot of that you got to gain through experience. Uh, I, I would love to say that I was born with this natural ability to put people at ease. Um, I think my wife would kind of argue with that sometimes. Ha ha ha. A horse fouls. Um, but <laughs> it's it's just you got to get to know people before you before you really really work with them. At least that's my train of thought. And if you make them uncomfortable and if you don't make them feel at ease or if you put pressure on them, then it's really hard to take it to the next step. So you get that experience in Washington and you 
come back here and you go to the other side, right? You go to work for the chamber as a, as a legislative liaison or legislative liaison. What did they the, call What's it? the bad word? Lobbyist? What's what's that? Oh, yeah. yeah. So it was a, you know government affairs. Government uh, affairs. That's what and um, and that was a good experience because I was able to work with a lot of fantastic private companies and i was able to learn savannah really i learned a lot about savannah you know growing up as a kid as a kid would this is where we'd come by the clothes and play our regional sports tournaments things of that nature um but i really got to know the business community and learn just great things about you know where savannah at the time was headed um i always felt at the time that savannah had so much potential um had a diverse economy and just really wanted to see bigger and better things happen mm. and the chamber of course is is supported by all its members you're working as much for them as anything else that's all about relationships too that's right how do you learn to kind of give and take and balance this company wants me to do this but it's not necessarily the best thing for sure a sector or the city as a whole we had several issues that didn't make every every company happy mm-hmm. and when those things happen, you got to look at the bigger picture and, and you know, you got to do some homework. You got to realize where the chips are going to fall and who's going to be happy and who's not going to be happy. Uh, at the end of the day, I think the, the filter at that time was what's best for the entire business community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I remember as small as this task may sound, we, one of our big issues is trying to make the school board elections nonpartisan. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember right. about might have been even 18 years ago might have, I, I, 16 years ago the school board elections were partisan so when you'd run for a school board position you have to declare whether you're a democrat or republican and we thought that was crazy right. and we knew that candidates good candidates wanted to run for school board positions and i would argue that's one of the most important elected position in the in the community i agree 100 percent. and we had good candidates and they wouldn't do it um because they didn't want to be tagged as republican or democrat so we worked really hard and that was a very difficult thing to get done but finally it happened and then i i would say that one of the main reasons why joe buck ran the first time was because he didn't have to do that attach Mm -hmm. a democrat republican to his name and he's been fantastic Mm -hmm. i think everyone in the community has a lot of respect for joe and he's been a great school board president and he you know he couldn't run for the third term in a row but he came back and now he's there was council nonpartisan at that time uh the school board uh no the city council. yeah the city's as long as 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 long as i can remember they've been at least i've been here for 19 years and they've always has always been nonpartisan. okay so they the the school board the people could see that that would make sense and right because the county commission is still yeah, I would argue the county commission would would be a good body to make nonpartisan. Yeah, yeah, I would. Yeah, I'm all for nonpartisan all the way, but that's yeah. that's a discussion for another day. <laughs> so you're you're at the chamber. You're you're there several years. People get to know you. Some things happen out at CETA, and how did you get hooked up over there? And that's a completely different animal, almost, right? There are several projects uh, that came along when I was working at the chamber that CETA needed our help with mm-hmm. and uh, which we obviously did and you know big expansions at Gulfstream a couple of smaller uh, locations there was always something that we were working with CETA uh, trying to you know get to the finish line mm-hmm. uh, and so we were able to work together learn a lot about the organization then uh, when a new after 
Rick Winger retired. They brought in another president. Uh, his name was Steve Weathers, and I got to work with him uh, extensively with him trying to um, – he was brand new to the community and, you know, wanted to assist him as, as much as we could uh, and really learn more about the organization at that point too. All right. When Steve decided to move on, they had to make a decision. The, the, the board did in terms of whether they wanted to go with another outsider that maybe had a lot of economic development potential or a lot of economic development expertise, or whether they wanted to kind of look locally as somebody that's known. You, I think, were the latter and, and were brought in as the interim. What do you think ultimately made them make the decision to say this is the right direction to go, that, that this guy can learn what he doesn't already know, we've got the staff around him, and he can learn what he needs to get? I think that there was a comfort level with me because I'd been working with CETA. You know, I wasn't necessarily – inside you know the staff pool if you will at the time but i've spent a lot of time over there working with them and doing various things and so i think that you know when steve left i think they wanted to try out a known entity versus doing another national search mm-hmm. uh, david Patterson was chair at the time and uh, mm-hmm. obviously knew him and several other members of the board kevin jackson steve green there are a lot of great people that were involved trying to figure out what the next step and a lot you know the phone started ringing a lot a lot of conversations and and it was it was it was a risk that i'm very happy that i took because i didn't know what was going to happen you know hey come do this job for six months or whatever if it doesn't work out you know thanks for playing i mean i, I really didn't know where it was going to go if it didn't work out and you know the, obviously the chamber had to fill uh the position and so but you know i couldn't have done any of that without the staff to see the staff the staff at the time the staff today is just amazing and they accepted me the very first day i learned so much from them i still learned so much from them um and after the six month interim period they were able to uh the board was able to elect me as a permanent uh, in the in the permanent position and again i did none of it would have happened without you know the staff because they they really I learned so much. They brought me in. They, yeah, it was a it was a big learning curve and had a lot to do. Uh, was traveling so much, you know, the first eighteen months, two years. Um, but they they really they they gave me a gift. So, how did the skills translate? I mean, you, you you're you're still lobbying. You may be lobbying a different breed of of people as the head of CETA, but it's still did it, did it connect? Did was there some carryover? Yeah, it, it, it was a big connection because. I think people think of CETA, they think of this kind of quiet organization, or not necessarily quiet, but what we do is so secretive. And yes, it is very secretive until, you know, the announcement gets there or, or we lose, God forbid, lose a prospect. But uh, with that going on, we're still in the job or the job set or the skill set is selling Savannah. Everybody in our staff, day in and day out, we are a marketing and sales organization. Our job is to promote the Savannah area, the Savannah region to the world. Um, there are a lot of ways we do that. There are a lot of ways that we that, that, that need to that we need to focus on a lot of things, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of different angles we got to take. But at the end of the day, just as working for the chamber or even working on Capitol Hill, you know, you're in sales. Everybody's in sales, I think, and we take that very seriously, and we. At the time when I got there, we had a lot of relationships that we had to work on, a lot of um, 
organizations that were very key to the success of CETA, a lot of our partners that we, we had to do some relationship uh, rebuilding, if you will. Mm-hmm. And that was a very critical time um, to do all that. And, and we just hit the ground running and I think it, it turned out well. We've obviously got you know work to do, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a very intense first two years, if you will, to, to make all those things happen. Yeah, because that was just coming out of the recession on top of of, of the relative instability that yes, or the lack of continuity. There's I don't still say a lack of, of stability, but a lack of continuity. Yes, and you know there was a lot of it, it was still a timid economy. Mm-hmm. Yes, things were turning around, and yes, I think the level of optimism was increasing. Um, but we had to act as if, you know, every big prospect or every prospect that came in our office, every relationship that crossed our desk was the most important one. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. That's what we do today. That kind of was shortly after the Stanford Research Institute report came out, which gave CETA some priorities, some, some target sectors, some target industries. You just completed an update of that earlier this year, Propel Savannah. Yes, is what it was called, and uh, Kevin Jackson, the current chair, wrote about it in the Savannah Morning News. I think in in late May or in June. Can you kind of walk us through what the report found and and how it is giving you a maybe not a new direction, but refined your direction? Well, there are some things in the report that weren't surprises to us. There are things that we didn't realize that we could be doing better. Um, I think the stuff that i don't i don't think people are going to be surprised with kind of what our target focus needs to be um obviously we want to continue to focus on advanced manufacturing and logistics uh those those areas have a lot of potential for savannah i think when i say logistics i'm including the port um you know warehouse distribution things of that nature um interesting enough i I do want to talk more about the warehouse distribution side because i want if, if folks are listening, you know, we're, we're trying to spread the word that we're not incentivizing and putting more incentives on the table anymore as it relates to warehouse distribution. Okay. Simply because we've established that market and it's, it's here. And unless it's something ultra competitive that really needs our help in conjunction with GPA and the state, yeah. we'll go to bat. But if it's a typical 100,000 square feet warehouse distribution project, we we help them all we can but we're not going to put an incentive on the table the efficiency of the port and some of the other things should be incentive enough exactly right and you know then and let the market take care of it right um you know we are putting a lot of effort going back to the report we are we're putting a lot of effort in the creative and technology services uh side with scad uh, georgia southern all all of our higher education institutions and what's coming out of the public education side um brought in a, a a vp named jim bonet recently she's been on board for about a year and so we're really trying to we have a new creative technologies incentive um i'm not going to bore you all the details but it's it's a very uh, we think it's an aggressive uh position that we're taking to lure more more of that entrepreneurial type company uh to come here and create the next you know app for a cell phone or things of that nature and that's an interesting point right because that is something creative coast was yes. founded 10 12 15 years ago mm-hmm. started to see some maybe not maybe early success isn't the right way to put it but you started to see some early interest you've had some flops you've had some we quietly have some successes here. yes i think there's yes. a couple here in town right now that that people would really be wild about once right. they once they build and they start going public 
how has that kind of evolved and and what does it take to get that to the next step that side of economic development is so um it it, it really is a creative it, it's 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 like this own culture if you will and those I think the word of mouth or, or the just the conversations out there, whether it's going to, you know, um, Geek End here in Savannah or South by Southwest in Austin or doing these various events, uh, I think Savannah is getting more and more on the radar as a place for people to come and enter or at least be a part of that technical uh, ecosystem that we're trying to develop here. I, th- I would say it's developed. We've just got a lot. And they cluster. It's a cluster, yeah. There's a, You're not going to see somebody come in that's going to – employ 2,000 people. We're not going right. to get Apple or Google, but you get 50 of these and employ 50 people. Or you employ 55 or 60 and two of them really take off. Right. Uh, and so that that is something that I think that you'll... We're just scratching the surface and there's going to be bigger and better things to come out of that. And so we're happy with the progress that we've made so far, but we've got a long ways to go. Yeah. And that ties into the logistics corridor, which I know you guys are, in, are invested in to a certain extent. Yeah, so we're trying to basically do what Augusta did with the partnership with the state of Georgia, you know, Augusta being the capital of cybersecurity. Um, we think we have a great opportunity um, for logistics technology, logistics hub, if you will, um, creative logistics type um, platforms, infrastructure related to the logistics sector. We think we can do that in Savannah and, and, and create a logistics hub, if you will, if not for the southeast, but for the country. Um, if you see what's going on with Georgia Southern, which would, you know, as, as the state has provided an appropriation uh, to get this started for CETA and the community, our key partner obviously is going to be Georgia Southern because they really uh, have, have advanced the ball so well with logistics and their doctorate and or their PhD program. Um, of course, Georgia Tech and others are definitely heavily in the logistics sector, but we've I, I just see that as an incredible uh, opportunity here and um with the success of the port and and all the infrastructure that we have we really want to take that to the next level and we're very thankful for the state and the governor for showing their commitment by providing four hundred thousand, which we will provide some extra money on top of that and if we do this right and the state believes in it we'll see future appropriations to take that to the next level you know have a building business plan things of that nature that can that can really put us on the map which is you know the goal i will say that the other two parts of the report that Mm -hmm. we will be focusing on um again entertainment production which is uh becoming a big business here and of course healthcare. i think healthcare, especially healthcare technology um i think there's some opportunity there i don't know exactly what that looks like Uh, we're reviewing that now since the report is final um it's going to take both hospital systems and you know these independent care operations to come together and kind of figure out what that is um but i think that you know there's so much talent coming in and out of savannah on on the medical side because you know people want to be here Mm -hmm. and why can't we do that on you know the same with with the technology side so there's stay tuned there's going to be more coming out of that you mentioned the the entertainment and the production industry of course there's we're going to be talking about it at least through the first of the year in terms of of the impact of the heartbeat bill on the entertainment industry i know recently earlier this month or we had a package in the paper that that you talked to some reporters about and talked a little bit about what kind of impact that legislation has had to this point and how much it could have in the future i know we still have some work going on around town i passed some i think at the at the the roundhouse museum coming out this way today but i know that 
from reading that story that the inquiries have slowed down a lot. Is that a blip, you think, or where, where do we go with that? I think it's going to be a blip. June was not a good month. Yes, we saw uh, a drastic decline on the inquiries, and uh, thankfully we've had work going on. I think that now that the lawsuit has been filed, I think the hopefully I think the, the well at least I think there will be an injunction mm-hmm. uh, filed soon. I don't know when, and once that really gets in the court system, I think you'll see uh, business as usual with film in Georgia um, or entertainment production throughout the state. I think that you know the production companies, the MGMs, all the big ones, screens, all, you, you can name a bunch of them. I think they're very interested in staying in Georgia because the business case is so solid. Mm-hmm. No other state has the incentive like we do. No other state, um, and we, we have no caps. I mean, there's, it's just the business case is so daggum strong yeah. that you're gonna see a lot of effort to try to keep that business in, in the state, um, regardless of what some of the actors or actresses say is, is you know is their position it's such a personal issue you know we we get a lot of phone calls we get a lot That's of comments right. about it we get um pro this anti that mm-hmm. um and you know we don't we don't get into that we just purely focus on the business case as stratton leopold always says movie business is 90 percent business and 10 percent show mm-hmm. and if you can focus on that 90 percent, we have a hell of a case to make yeah and we've seen it uh, i think one court has taken up one of the bills from one of the other states and i'm sure it's probably yeah there seems to be nine states that are doing something similar you know i don't know what if all the governors are talking to each other if they have something up their sleeve but i think that this is going to be a a long-term key court decision at some point about the next couple of years Mm -hmm. for sure what else is what else might be coming down the pike here here locally i know that you a lot of your stuff you have to keep private but i know sometimes you you like to tease and hint at some things what's what's coming i'll so year to date compared to last year on the investment side we're up 91 percent over last year and we're very very thankful and fortunate for that um on the job count we're up 41 percent uh year to date um over over last year and that's great that's fantastic we're very very thankful for that we've got key projects we've i think we're going to hopefully have three announcements um by the end of the month um, certainly by the middle of August. I would love to announce them right now. Of course, it's the company's decision on when they want to announce them. And all three of them are great. Um, nothing Super Bowl-esque, if you will, uh, but it's you know, it's nice to have these mid-level type projects because the more you diversify and more companies you have, you know, you're not putting all your eggs in one basket. Yeah. Not to say I'm dying to win the Super Bowl. I'm, right. I'm telling you, we, we try as hard as we can to get that big one. And um, fortunately, there's a couple out there that we feel pretty good about. But, you know, I've been jaded with other projects, so I don't really get excited until something's been signed <laughs> on paper. But, um, so yeah, we've got some, some, some announcements coming. I do worry. I think that the bigger project type activity, when I say larger, I'm talking about a thousand jobs or more for one announcement is slowing some. I don't know if that's a function of the tariff discussions or international conversations that are going on. Um, you know, the economy still is very strong. The latest unemployment numbers show uh, the Savannah MSA at 3.2%. Right. Um, you know, the state of Georgia, I think, is at 3.3%. The national average is 3.4%. So, you know, we still have a, a tight labor market, which, you know, everybody's concerned about. But that's not, you know, that's to be expected with, with the way the economy is going. So, but I do worry that the bigger stuff is drying up some. Um, 
And, you know, we're seeing a little bit of decline on prospect visits, which is a very important measurement of what we do. You can't, you can't put, you can't make some company announce here. You can't make them, you know, but you try to provide everything that makes their decision as easy as possible and very favorable to Savannah. Uh, and the only way we really get to that stage is by having them, the companies actually visit here. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by SavannahNow.com. For all the latest breaking news and pertinent stories related to your community, check out SavannahNow.com. And that's a real good segue to to the deep dive here at the end. And I, I think most of us understand broad strokes what you do but can you walk us through a site visit how how much networking goes on when somebody shows interest how do you follow up how do you get them here how do you wow them most of that starts with the things we touched on earlier the relationship building i would argue that economic development is no different than sort of the buy local campaign you see here people want to do business with people that they know and trust and so we spent a lot of time going back to that relationship building, cultivating and maintaining, you know, key uh, relationships with various organizations. Site selectors play a very important role um, in this process. And they're we, middlemen, right? I yes. Mean, they're they are brokers. They, they do not make the ultimate decision. They advise the company uh, throughout the entire process and basically tell the company what they think is the best thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, companies rely heavily on them to you know guide them through everything but ultimately it's the company's decision but we do spend a lot of time with the consultants because we don't know you know you know john doe inc wants to put 500 employees somewhere in the southeast right we're not going to know that without you know the site you know some sort of consultant involved and everything is so hush hush we have the craziest project names you've ever heard of um i think I worked at Gulfstream. oh yeah I so you think, yeah you've heard of them that's <laughs> right 42 yeah and so we i think we had one um one last week was uh, red hair, or I mean, just, I don't know if they're sitting around a table and see somebody walk by. Right, it's just you know, you don't know. But we take all that very seriously. So when we, a site consultant, we we get our leads from three important sources: one, the site consulting side; two, the state of Georgia; and then three, they deal directly with us. Or um, when I say state of Georgia, I'm talking about the Department of Economic Development or the Georgia Ports Authority. Yep. And then, you know, three, they directly contact CETA. And so when that happens, you know, we chase every lead, you know, whether it's going to the Paris Air Show or going to Economics, which is a consultant's forum in Nashville, we try to be present so that we can learn um, about what's going on so that we can chase that lead. So when the lead's out there, we do everything we can to get Savannah top of mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then when we do that, we usually start with an RFI, which is a request for information that the consultant or the company provides us, and it's very exhaustive. They ask, you know, what are the high school dropout rates? What's the reading rate? I mean, you'd be shocked how deeper the, the, the workforce dive is today compared to what it was four years ago, simply because labor's so, so tight. tight yeah. And we're getting a lot of questions. So we're having to, when we bring the companies in, we got to give a lot of information, a lot of, you know, ideas on what we're doing on the workforce side. Um, so we get the art, we fill out these, you know, sometimes 20, sometimes 80 pages of stuff. We send it back. And then we wait until we, you know, get the okay for a site visit. And sometimes the site visits with the company, sometimes the site visits just with the consultant. 
And then when we do that, that's all hands on deck. We roll out the red carpet. We spend time on the site. We bring in presentations, go over incentives, and you keep doing everything you can to make the next round of cuts. People say that you know we're in the site selection economic de- development business. I would argue that we are in the site elimination business. You don't want to be eliminated, <laughs> you right? Be eliminated. You keep trying to do everything you can to make the final round, you know, so you're not cut. So you got to make a, a vacant lot look sexy and. Uh, you, oh yeah, we've got. Well, I won't give you the date, but we've got a great project coming in um, for a large track of land, mm-hmm. and the grass is. I mean, we were out there yesterday. It's up to my shoulder. <laughs> so we're going so to get cut. We're going to get all that fixed up before they get here. <laughs> um, so, and has it? It's a site um, that, that hasn't been looked at in a couple couple of years. But anyways, we're going to get all that right. Right. Uh, so we you know take them to dinner and do all this and that and then yeah. you know are wait they, are they making the rounds with the the local politicians are they are they making the rounds with arts and culture leaders who have an impact to quality of life how much of the peripherally goes into it's it's the consultant or the company dictates what the expectations need to be and either we have a full day with them or we only have two hours mm. very rarely do they want the political side mm-hmm. um we only engage them if it's by, by their choice okay um and that's usually at the very very end of the process when the ceo's here or they've more or less identified savannah as the winner yeah um i would argue that what we do is probably the most competitive you know line of work out there i mean somebody would probably call and argue that 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 point because i think everybody would say that they're in a very competitive field of business but when you're dealing with incentives that other states put on the table other communities put on the table and you know these site consultants you know they're they're going to go where they can get the biggest bang for their client and when they do that you know it's you're putting a lot on the table and you know you never know when the end's going to be until they tell you that the end is here yeah that's what I often wonder because people say, "Well, who wouldn't want to locate to Savannah? You got oh yeah, good weather. You got the great coast. You got the great food." At the end of the day, the big mover is where can I get the best deal, right? Whether it's the, in a cornfield or over here in Savannah. We always say, and this is a thought that is out there, you know, within the economic development community, incentives are meant to make a good project better. Mm-hmm. It's not meant to make a crappy project, you know somewhat better Feasible. i mean there has to be a good project or otherwise you're not going to dump a bunch of incentives on the table but when you're on the five yard line and you've got tennessee doing this and you've got south carolina doing that you know especially if you're a big company and the decision makers are thousands of miles away and if they look at the numbers on the piece of paper and that incentive total is larger than what you see somewhere else well they're going to get more attention um, and so it is a very competitive process. So anyways, do we go through all this and there's another site visit and there could be a third or fourth. And when all that happens, you know, the company's got to make a decision and then it goes quiet for a little while. Then you get the phone call, either you made or you didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've had some great success. We've lost a few, uh, but you know, we really, really love the good phone calls. We hate the bad ones, but, mm-hmm. um, you know there's we've we've plussed up the land game we've got great land resources now with the savannah manufacturing yeah, center coming so online we didn't mention that yet but it's we, coming online yep, soon. For, right? first quarter of next year how, uh, how how big is that site how many it's about it's 800 acre site we think we can get 12 we will we know we'll have 12 different sites within 800 acres it's going to be a it's a very diverse park we're going to have 
you know, 100,000 square feet facilities to a million. Um, and uh, whenever you have time, I'd love to show it to you. It's it's on the west side of Chatham County. To put it in context, I think most people can remember when the Megaslite, the Fuller Megaslite was cleared right. before Mitsubishi went out there. It's bigger than that, right? Oh, yeah. So there's not one individual site in that park that's the size of what you see at right next to Mitsubishi. That's 250 acres pad ready. Mm-hmm. Um, but you will see, you know, 100 acres to 50 acres because – we wanted to make it diverse and focus on you know 100 employees per company up to a thousand or you know we we, and plus it's hard to find that 250 acres without a lot of you know wetland issues and things of that nature in in chatham county um but with that coming online it's just for manufacturing because you know warehouse distribution they've been doing a lot of a lot of Mm -hmm. development which is great and it's complimented the ports but we are seeing a ton of interest from large-scale institutional land developers, you know, big global enterprises that are looking at, you know, a few tracts of land left in Chatham County. And, of course, they're looking at Bryan and Effingham. Um, I will say one of the greatest things that we've been able to do um, at CETA with our partners in Bryan, Effingham, and uh, Bullitt County is really work as a region. And that's probably one of the things I think we all four of us, all four counties are most proud of, you know, the practitioners of economic development is how well we work as a region. Um, and that's been a big, big, I think, development for us because it's, it's getting a lot of attention because site consultants and companies, they don't care where the county lines are. They just want to know where they can get the workers, what's the best incentive and where's the best site. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because Governor Kemp was in visiting with us the other day and he talked about in this area not enough megasites yeah and you know for forever we've we've you know there's a big megasite in bryan county and you know the mm-hmm. pooler was built as a megasite for a long time now it's, it's now it's not cut up and it's not going to accommodate somebody like way back in the day it was right. supposed to accommodate a, a van plant they right. can't do that anymore so with all these other counties is there possibilities does it allow you guys to compete for these for these yes these mega projects yes still? yes so we've got a great site in effingham county we've got a great site in bryan county and when we talk about mega site we refer to sites that are truly can be pad ready a thousand acres or more for that next holy cow oem project automobile manufacturer or aerospace mm-hmm. you, you name it mm-hmm. um and to have two right now that are almost you know i wouldn't say pad ready but you know they can get pad ready pretty quick two in this region is is i think is pretty good we need more but um you know I, and I'll, I'll also say that our leg up in that environment of the oems the massive manufacturers um what will help us more than anything here is if the company that locates here wants to export a lot of product out of our port right you know we've we've lost several projects to the midwest you know uh the rust belt simply because they can distribute that project 360 degrees mm-hmm. uh for north america well we can't do that here but if we build something here and want to export it we're, we are the site so yeah interesting we mentioned the site selection and and the consultants we seem to be at the top of a lot of site selection surveys every year can you kind of uh debunk what all that means and and how big an advantage that is to us i think we've made a lot of improvement um over the last five to six years uh related to where we stand with the consultants um and a lot of that's subjective uh it's just because we spend a lot of time trying to get in front of and we bring them here we are able to interact with them we go to see them and 
again it's no different than going to a trade show for for a furniture trade show or, or, or something like that you know to get your product in front of the people that need to see it and we've done a we've 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 made a lot of effort in trying to get more and more consultants to know about savannah and i think we're pretty proud of that let's start up with this conversation with a topic that we were talking before we came on here and that was the the perception of what CETA is what solutions they can offer uh i think a lot of people look and think you guys have a magic wand and can tap something and it's done and and i know that's not necessarily the case right yeah i think the big takeaway when we get in front of whether we're speaking to a rotary group or you know a, a school class or whatever our, our at the end of the day we are the marketing and sales organization for savannah in the region our job is to go out and market sell do these things in hopes that we facilitate job new jobs and, and new private investment it sounds really easy um, but that's really what we do we definitely are at the table and we definitely participate in a lot of different activities uh in order to plus up what the product is that we market um we do the marketing and the community creates the product uh and we certainly want to increase or at least make the product as good as possible at least the best that there is in the business of economic development i think that a lot of people think that CETA is to do more than that, and which is fine. I mean, we're charged with bringing in the jobs and investment. And but I, I think at the end of the day, when we're talking about workforce development and trying to improve some of our deficiencies, it's up to the entire community. It's not just CETA, and we're always striving for partnerships in order to do that. We did a study of a couple of years ago that tried to identify all the workforce training programs or some sort of workforce pro- program just in Chatham County. And I think we ended up with a hundred and there's 60, 69 institutions that were doing something about workforce development. I think there's 190 programs and that, that includes Savannah tech that includes the, the educational institutions. Then that includes a lot of uh, nonprofit organizations that are doing something with workforce development. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, you know, and I'm picking on workforce development because I feel like and it's not just, workforce development but a lot of other nonprofit efforts in chatham county it's like a well-hit three wood in a tile bathroom imagine that ball going in all kind of directions but there's no cohesive effort and that's that to me is something we've got to overcome i think as a community we have to work together focus on what organizations are doing the right thing and basically there has to be like a clearinghouse, if you will, one-stop shopping in the world of workforce development where companies and people that visit the community can go to and say, hey, I want to know how I can learn more about, you know, getting 10 welders lined up to to come to this company because they need 10 welders by, you know, the end of September. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that, that exists somewhat, you know, because I'm picking on welding, but if, there's mm-hmm. so many other crafts, so many other skill sets that we could do a better job of, you know, hurting the cats if you will right and, you and that's leverage. frustrating yeah you gotta leverage those resources it's not right. just workforce development the infrastructure is another big issue right too, right, right? That, that impacts what you guys are trying to do when exactly. people look at look at roads and sewer and right water and and but you <laughs> and know else. i will say we we are so blessed to have the community that we have the location that we have um you know to walk into a meeting in shenzhen china and somebody comes up to you you've never met before and mentions gulfstream 
or you go to Santiago, Chile, and we're working on we're bringing in more produce, you know, working on establishing facilities that can bring in more produce, you know, to the United States uh, through our port. Somebody comes up to you and wants them to learn more about SCAD or talk about SCAD. And the next conversation, somebody wants to talk about the, the beautiful, you know, the culture or the tourism of, of Savannah. And then you, you know, you'll get a conversation about the Fort Stewart Hunting Army Airfield. And then you, you know, it goes on and on and on. And we're just so thankful to have that here. Yeah. Um, and, and it really, you go all over the world, somebody's going to bring up something like this. And yeah, I think it's interesting because a lot of people, I think maybe it's a little bit of the Savannah way. People like to compare us to, to, to other places and, and without recognizing what we have here, people like to compare us to Charleston, or right. compare us to Atlanta, or they compare right. us to Raleigh, Durham. And, and this, you know, Atlanta's a, that's a strong comparison, but yeah, they ever, we should be compared to Charleston. We, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you a question. One of the things that we learned going through this Propel Savannah. So it obviously makes sense that Jacksonville and Charleston are our top competitors. Who would be the third? For projects. For projects. Hmm. Are we talking regionally? Or are we talking? Well, we did four. We asked the top four. So Mobile is not too much of a surprise, but the fourth one was Houston. Wow. And so when we like the fourth biggest city in the country, yeah, Houston. So when we're computing, uh, computing, we're competing on all this stuff, and we're trying to figure out who we're beating and who we're losing to. Those are the top four. I guess they're all port. They're all port cities. All yeah. port cities, and you know, probably sixty or seventy percent of the projects that we're bringing in definitely have a port connection. Maybe even more than that, and some don't have a port connection at all. But we are. They want to be on the coast. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And of course, Texas has different kind of tax structure and yeah that's, yeah no income tax is very that's, nice that's very interesting but yeah there's every every state has different priorities and incentives and resources yeah well i think i could pepper you with more questions all day but i think we're uh, <laughs> we're running up against it that gives us an excuse to circle back uh, down the road but sure I appreciate you coming in thank you very much for having me looking forward to these these announcements on the horizon yes we, we're looking forward to hopefully making them as soon as possible <laughs> But thank you very much. Thanks again to Cedas Trip Tollison for sharing his insights on Difference Makers. We're doubly appreciative, as Cita is also our presenting sponsor. Tap into the Difference Makers archives anytime on your favorite podcast app to hear interviews with more of Savannah's community leaders, such as Congressman Buddy Carter, James Beard award-winning chef Mashama Bailey, and Savannah Bananas owners Jesse and Emily Cole. Difference Makers is a production of the Savannah Morning News and SavannahNow.com. We'll be back again August the 2nd with the Savannah Voice Festival's Maria Zuvis as our Difference Maker. Thank you for listening. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.